Hey, uh, we're so excited to be here at Zoe Church. It's been a big week for our family. This last Thursday night, we held our ministry banquet right here in this auditorium because Steph and I, we based our ministry out of here, and that was incredible. And then um, uh, exciting news, but I wrote my first ever book, y'all. Yeah, big deal. If you've ever written a book before, uh, it's a big task. It's a marathon. And we're attempting to build our launch team. It launches this Tuesday. And we have, I think, over 100 people already, uh, or not, not this Tuesday, Tuesday, October 13th. And we already have over 100 people who said, hey, we want to help support and launch the book. This is crazy. Due to the amount of book sales yesterday, uh, it's not public that I have a live version up. Uh, it drove to the number one new bestseller in Amazon in two different categories. Uh, just do the traction that's already getting. And so uh, October 13th is the launch day, and our prayer all along is, God, let this book get in the hands of whoever it's supposed to get into. And so um, we're excited about that, and uh, we're grateful to have Zoe Church as our home base and our home place to minister out of. Uh, but to hop into today's message, have any of you uh, ever been out with a group of friends before, or maybe your spouse, uh, you've been out with people, and, and then you're really excited to share a story with your friends, or you're, let's say you're out to dinner with a couple, and it's you and your spouse, and you begin telling a story, and you're excited about it. And then in the middle of sharing your story, your spouse interrupts your story and goes, it didn't go like that. Or you're, you're with a group of friends, and it's your buddies, and you're out hanging out, and you're telling this epic story, and one of your friends who happened to be with you in the story says, there wasn't a hundred people there, just abruptly, like, interrupts you. Has that ever happened to you before? Am I the only one? Okay. Uh, I, I'm not going to throw my wife under the bus this morning, okay? But I, I, I'm very, I, I already did. She just said, I already did, okay? I, I, I. Do I embellish stories sometimes? Maybe. Okay, sometimes. Maybe. Is my personality one that's very eccentric, very outgoing? Maybe. Okay, maybe. If I say 100 people came to Christ at an event, could it have been 95? Prop maybe. Okay, maybe. All right. But my wife is notorious for whenever we're out at an event, she just stopped. Micah, it didn't go like that. Micah, 50 people came to Jesus, not 100. <laughs> Get it right. And it's like all momentum I had for the story just deflated in the matter of one second of my wife interrupting me at the story. I don't know if anybody else has experienced that, but that happens regularly to me. Like, it doesn't just have to be my wife. It can be with a group of friends or whoever. And the reason why that is, is why, is because there's actually another side to the story, isn't there? Somebody else had a different perspective. They had a different side to the story. And my pastor growing up always told me, and this was a man who retired in the ministry, had met with hundreds of people over the years. Pastor Jerry always instilled this in me as a young minister. He said, Micah, there's always what? Two sides to every story, Right? And when you look at the life of Jesus, you realize he had these people called followers, disciples, and the disciples would often have their side, their perspective, but then it wouldn't be uncommon for Jesus to have his side and his perspective of what 
was going on. And I'm titling today's message, the sermon title today is called The Other Side. And I'm going to say this publicly so it gets held accountable to my life. But I've already outlined seven chapters of a new book titled The Other Side. So this is just message one. And you'll see where I'm going with this. This is going to be really cool. Uh, you know, when we go through experiences in life, it's easy for us to uh, endure things and go through things where the first emotion can typically be fear or panic. In life, when you follow Jesus, it's not a matter of if you'll ever have disruptions. It's just a matter of when disruptions will come. In fact, Jesus is really good at leading us into a life that's full of disruptions. And when you look at this past year and the things we've experienced, could we just call it what it is and maybe just say this whole year has been a year of disruptions. Disruptions of our time, disruptions of our space, disruptions of our relationships. It's been a year of disruptions. I can recall a time early in the year before the pandemic hit where I was speaking at a youth retreat in Wilmer, Minnesota. And as I was uh, speaking, the students asked me, do you want to play basketball and go to the gym and play basketball? I said, hey, I'll take down a bunch of junior high kids and deflate their egos and dominate them in basketball. I love basketball. So I go into the gym and play basketball, and I run hard after a ball. And as I'm running really hard after a ball, I stop real quick. And I hear a loud pop. And I fall on my back and I turn around to see what kid took a basketball and chucked it at the back of my knee. Because I was convinced some kid chucked a ball at me and I was going to get up and destroy this little one. Okay? And so, and so I look around and there's no kid there. And then I have a group of junior high teenagers running towards me. And when they get to me, their faces are like, <laughs> I didn't know this at the time, but my knee was over here. My kneecap was. It dislocated. It was disfigured. And all these junior high kids had never seen a dislocated knee before. Well, neither had I, okay? This was new for me, too. And I'm screaming in pain. The worst place to be in is when your patella tendon ruptures and comes off the bone, but then you have a bunch of little teenagers staring at you that have no idea how to fix your pain and help you. It's miserable, okay? It's horrible. And so I'm screaming in pain. There's no one that can help me. And it's crazy how when your body has something out of alignment, it naturally actually wants to get back into order. And so I, just unknowingly, my leg, I straightened it. I tightened as much as I could. And I watched my knee just go pop right back over and found out I had a, a uh, the patella tendon right here came off the bone and was going to require major knee surgery. Well, uh, as a traveling evangelist, if you're sick, you don't cancel appointments. You go. If you have a torn patella tendon, you don't cancel. You find a way to go. So I had uh, uh, three weeks of ministry fully booked, scheduled, and one of those trips was to Arizona. I bought a first-class ticket hoping that would relieve some of the pain and have more leg room to sprawl out my leg. Because the minute I bent my leg, it would twitch and I'd be in immediate pain. So I had to keep it straight. Well, the first-class seat they gave me wasn't the one with all the leg room. There was a wall right in front of me. They put me 1A. And so I had to take my brace off and sit there writhing in pain the whole time. Long story short, I'm supposed to preach six services in a weekend. One on Friday night, two Saturday night services, three Sunday morning services. After Friday night, I go to the hotel room. I'm laying down. I have a panic attack in my bed. I think I'm having a heart attack. My friends rushed me to the hospital. This was just in this past March. And I realized something. I had experienced a disruption in a traumatic event, but I never took care of myself to the point that it led me into a hospital room trying to figure out what was going on in my life. And then I find out two weeks after that 
that COVID hits and cancels all of our ministry, all of our income. The very first thought that hit my mind when I heard all of this was, Steph, um, we're going to not buy any groceries. We're going to talk to our board and cut our salary. We're going um, to eat out of our freezer, everything we have in our freezer. And so for the first week during COVID, my wife and I, uh, if there were any leftovers at mealtime, she would wrap them up, put them in the fridge, and immediately take them out for the next mealtime. And the reason why is because we were dealing with a very real emotion called fear. And there were very real, real disruptions that hit my life. I could not walk. My wife was taking care of two children plus another child, me, okay? And she was attempting to manage a life of no ministry, no income potentially coming into the ministry. And the very first emotion was trauma, shock, and fear. Now, if you're like me, maybe this last year you have experienced fear, shock, trauma, and disruptions. And I wish all of it would never happen. But time and time again through scripture, you see that on the other side of fear can literally be one of the most powerful revelations in the character of God. And what I want to walk you through today are three things that we can do when disruption hits our life. Some of you are in the middle of the disruption right now. You're out of a job. You're out of work. You're being contemplative, being let go because they can't support you. You're staying up at night thinking about how you might make it in the future, not knowing how you're going to get childcare. Maybe you're a single mom in the room and this whole season's been hard with school because of the disruption of distance learning or hybrid. There are so many people in the room who have experienced disruption this year. And what I'm going to attempt to do is to show you three principles that we can apply that Jesus does and that the disciples do that still apply to our life today. You know, when you look at the life of Jesus, you might expect a perfect, peace-filled life. But really, when you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus himself, the Son of God, ran into disruptions, unplanned things, things he didn't expect. One of those disruptions, and you see it, the effect take a toll on his life, is when he finds out his really good buddy who went before him to prepare the way, named John the Baptist, was beheaded. And what does it say when it found out that Jesus found out that John the Baptist died? Jesus encountered a disruption. And rather than continuing on life as normal, it says in Matthew 13, Jesus went into a boat and went to a solitary place to get away. Do you realize losing someone really impacted and disrupted Jesus? It disrupted his life. And know what's crazy? The moment he tried to get away in Matthew 13, what followed him? A massive crowd. So much so that when he saw the crowd and he was trying to grieve the loss of a friend and was wondering what was going on, when Jesus saw the crowd, the character and nature of God rose up in the middle of a disruption. You saw the compassion side of Jesus come through. That he saw sheep without a shepherd. So then what did he do? He began to feed the multitudes and then a miracle took place. And then we end up where we are today in Matthew chapter 14. After the miracle of the 5,000 in verse 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, go ahead of them to the other side. We're going to stop right there. Made his disciples get into the boat, go on ahead of them to the 
other side. Don't forget, Jesus just lost a friend and John the Baptist was trying to grieve, got interrupted with another disruption, performed a miracle. Then he looks at his disciples and says, get in the boat immediately and go to the other side. Anytime in scripture you see Jesus say, go to the other side, what Jesus is intentionally doing is he's intentionally leading his disciples into a very disruptive moment. You see, to follow Jesus, you have to understand that when you follow him, he's actually going to intentionally place our lives in disruption, in disruptive moments. Every time in scripture it says the other side, there's disruption. In Mark 4, he tells them to get in the boat to go to the other side. The disruption was a storm that they thought the disciples were going to drown and die. Jesus calms the storm. What's on the other side but a demoniac man who's screaming, running naked at Jesus into another disruptive moment. The town is so upset. They're so ticked at Jesus because the herd of pigs that they make their money off of drowned. So they tell Jesus, get out of our area Go to the other side. Get out of here. What happens on the other side? Another disruption. A sick, poor woman with a blood issue meets him. A rich synagogue ruler named Jairus meets him. He encounters diseased people on the other side. Whenever you follow Jesus to the other side, you can expect disruptions. However, in the journey of following to the other side is always revelation of God's character. He never leads you to another side without revealing himself to you. He never leads you into disruptions without intention to reveal his character into your life. And so here we have Jesus telling him to get to the other side. But then Jesus does something very interesting. He doesn't get in the boat, but in verse 23 it says, After he dismissed him, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Don't you realize he's probably very well still grieving John? And he tells him to get away because he was just fed 15,000 people. It's a long day. And then he tells him to go. And then Jesus, by himself, goes to a mountainside to pray. You want to know how you handle disruption when disruption hits? Number one is this. Get alone and pray. Get alone and pray. If Jesus, the Messiah himself, who was fully God and fully man, needed to get alone and pray... How much more do you and I? And notice how it doesn't just say he got alone. Because isolation can actually bring more damage to a grieving heart. But it was isolation in a solitary place with one purpose. To rest in his father's arms. Prayer can seem laborious. But what if prayer was actually restful? Prayer can seem like it's a lot of work. But what if prayer was merely trusting a big God who wants to hold you, lead you beside green pastures, anoint your head with oil, prepare a table before your enemy, and let you rest? What if prayer wasn't seen as the last option? What if it was seen as the number one priority when disruption hits? How would it change us? How would it change you and I? Jesus modeled this so well. He went to a mountaintop, grieving John, overwhelmed, tired, weary. I love how John 4 says, Jesus, tired from walking, found himself at a well. It shows the humanity of Jesus. The grieving heart of Jesus 
found in an almighty God. I know it's so beautiful. <laughs> Jesus immediately goes from the mountaintop with his father. And he begins to walk on the water towards his disciples. Jesus could have gotten a boat. But how fun would it be to be Jesus to be like, I'm just going to go walk on the water now. <laughs> I'm going to switch it up. I need to walk on the waves right now. <laughs> I need to walk on the water. You know, when I experienced a disruption in my own life of losing my father at a young age in a motorcycle accident, the number one thing I felt I wanted to do is I wanted to leave the hospital and leave my family because I was so overwhelmed. Everyone was looking to me in the moment of grief. And I left and I went downstairs in my bedroom and I just cried out to Jesus. You want to know what happened when I went alone and I prayed? I just cried out. And by the way, crying out doesn't mean having eloquent prayers. It means awkward cries from your heart. It means awkward words that come out. It's not perfect. It doesn't sound perfect. But it sounds like a cry from a child to his father. And there I was in my room crying out, snot everywhere, crying everywhere. And I had this beautiful revelation or vision of Jesus coming, putting his arms around me and just holding me. You know what I needed in that moment? I needed to get alone and pray. Because on the other side of my disruption was a revelation. How many revelations do we miss because we don't get alone and pray? On the other side of fear is typically a revelation that's waiting for your life. Jesus told us, go and pray. When you pray, it was expected. So when we see disruptions hit, just know it's okay to get alone and pray. Everything you have going on in your life, guess what? It's going to be back there tomorrow. I want to give you permission as a single mom to tell your daughter or your son, um, I'm going to go shut the door in my room for 30 minutes. I'll turn on a show for you, whatever. I need to get alone and pray. Whenever I'm overwhelmed, I'll look my kids in the eyes and say, hey, kids, daddy needs to get alone and pray. Want to know what happens when your kids know that you're going alone to pray and you're honest with them? You're now modeling for them what Jesus did. They're catching what you're doing. It's a beautiful thing. So you see this disruption take place. Jesus walks on the water. Peter and the disciples are freaked out. Once again, another disruption hits. Fear overtakes the disciples. They're freaking out, thinking it's the ghost. Peter says, is that you, Lord? He says, yes. And then he says, if it's you, tell me to come. He, Jesus looks at Peter, tells him to come. But then a disruption, another one hits Peter's life. He begins to sink and he begins to fail. I just want you to know something. If you find yourself failing often and a lot in the middle of disruptions, just know you're a whole lot more like the disciples than you are anything else. Peter found himself in the middle of failing but yet Jesus was right there. This is not an excuse for failure. I'm just letting you know it's the whole reason why Jesus had to come. Because he knew humanity would fail. He knew humanity would live in a broken world, in a broken state. And Jesus, being the perfect one, came to be that for us which we could not be for ourselves. That in the middle of disruption, in the middle of our failing. That we might be able to do what Peter did in the middle of disruption, which is number two. When disruption hits, 
Use your voice to call out to Jesus. Use your voice to call out to Jesus. When was the last time you were in your house and you just yelled out, Jesus, Jesus, save me. Help me. I need you, Jesus. Up in the north in Minnesota, we like to be reserved. But sometimes, no, it's really good for us is just to yell out and use our voice. Save me. Save my marriage. Save my family. Save my kids. Jesus, save us. There's something powerful when you use the God-given voice that in the middle of your disruption, you call out to Jesus. You use your voice to call out to him. Who else was notorious for his voice but a blind beggar on the side of a road who heard that Jesus was coming by. He knew he could do something about his blindness. And it says that he shouted, Jesus, save me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And it says that the crowd told him to be quiet. Shut up. Stop your yelling. Jesus, save me. Is essentially what he was doing. He was using his voice to call out to Jesus. Or how about the leper in Matthew 8 who comes down the mountainside and says, Jesus, if you're willing, would you heal me? What a powerful prayer. Time and time again, you see people who hit disruptions, but they don't let the disruptions overpower their voice of calling out to Jesus. Use your voice to call out to Jesus. Your kids might think you're crazy downstairs calling out to Jesus. Let them think you're crazy. Let them hear you calling out to Jesus. Let them hear you use your voice to call out to Jesus. It's powerful. It's powerful. You know, I remember a time a couple weeks ago my daughter was playing in a, a, a toy car, a big toy car. And there was a top to it. And I saw my daughter standing about four feet off the ground on top of the car. Malachi, my youngest, was in the car. I saw what was happening. I went inside. And if have you ever been a parent before and you have this little voice that kicks in and says, go get your daughter off the car because she's about to get hurt. It's a bad scenario. I ignored that voice, okay? I went inside. I was on the couch. A couple minutes later, I hear screaming outside. And I knew what happened. I knew it because I saw it beforehand as a father. And I saw what was going to take place. I just didn't do anything about it. And I heard the screams of my little girl. You want to know what will get a parent off their butt fast? Is the screams of a little child. And I ran out to my daughter and I picked her up. <laughs> and I just held her because she couldn't walk. She couldn't put her, her, her um, weight on her ankle. Anytime she stepped, she would scream in pain. You know what had happened that day? As a father, I heard my child's voice crying out for me. It moved my heart as a father. What do you think happens when Jesus hears his kids scream and cry out to him? What do you think moves inside of his heart? Don't you see what happens in the story? Peter's drowning. Save me! And then the next word, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and pulled Peter up. Immediately! 
Jesus saves. Let me just say this. This story isn't so much about the frailty of humanity and how weak we are, although that is true. But this story is about the saving immediate act and power of Jesus Christ. This reveals his character of a savior to save immediately when he hears his kids call out to him. But what does scripture say in Romans when Paul says, confess with your mouth. There's something about your voice saying, Jesus, save me. Believe in your heart that he died and rose again and you will be saved. Make sure you get alone and pray. But also make sure you use your voice to call out to Jesus. The disruption was an overwhelming experience. And then we see our third point that we can apply in principle, which number three is keep your eyes locked on his. In the middle of disruption, how hard is it to keep your eyes locked on Jesus? How can you look at someone who just lost a job and say, are you keeping your eyes on Jesus? That's difficult. How hard is it to hear, keep your eyes on Jesus when you watch your child suffering with the disease? How hard is it to say, keep your eyes on Jesus when you feel like a horrible parent because of how school's going at your house. How hard is it to say keep your eyes on Jesus when you're not sure if in a couple months where finances might be at. But can I just say something? The panic really went to an all-time high when the fear of the storm became bigger than the power and the majesty of Jesus. You know what fear does a really good job of in disruptions? It does a really good job of keeping worshipers silent. Fear attempts to drown out the worship in the worshiper. Fear attempts to silence your tongue and keep you in a hidden place. Fear attempts to make your problem bigger than our Savior. And that's real. That's a real thing. And that's valid. But know what I came to remind you of today? It's the big so what of our whole message. Our big so what is this, is on the other side of fear is actually worship. It's worship. And what consumes us daily with the fear? Just two nights ago, I got a message from someone in my inbox. Micah, watch this video. I watched the video. You know what the first thing it did in my heart? It froze me with fear. It talked about things that were going to happen in our country. It talked about emergency broadcast systems going off. It filled my heart with fear. And know what it did in my heart? It stopped me from worshiping Jesus. And after 30 minutes of laying in bed with my wife, my wife said, Mike, are you okay? I said, I'm afraid. I'm scared. But then I took time to put my eyes back on Jesus. And know what Jesus has to say when I look in his eyes? Micah. This world is fading away. Everything you see in this world is fading away. But you are with me now, and you're with me forever. So no matter what happens to you, don't worry what can happen to your physical, mortal body. Be more concerned about where you are with me, where your soul is, where your spirit is. You want to know what it turned into in my heart when my eyes were on Jesus again? I just began to worship him. God, you're so great. <laughs> God, you're so mighty. God, you're so powerful. 
God, you're so wonderful. God, you're great. I heard a pastor say this one time. He said, if I only have 10 minutes to pray, I'll spend nine minutes of those worshiping God. Because something happens when I worship him in those nine minutes that couldn't have if I were to spend time just praying. God already knows what I need before I even ask him. So I'll just spend the remaining time worshiping and declaring who he is. And any fear and disruption that hits your life, on the other side of it, when your eyes meet him, he begins to reveal himself to you. And worship begins to come out of your mouth. Worship fills your heart. Worship fills your tongue again. And the narrative changes. But what happens in the story? You see Peter's eyes get off Jesus and then Peter begins to sink. The same thing happens to you and I. The minute our eyes become on the news, our eyes get off Jesus and we begin to be overwhelmed. The minute our eyes are on our problem and not on Jesus, we begin to get overwhelmed. But it says this, that when the disciples saw Peter rescued and saved, when they saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sing, cried out, save me. In verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And then in verse 32, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat, here's the revelation, they began worshiping him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Whenever Jesus leads us to the other side, whenever Jesus asks us to follow him, both now and forever into eternity, we can expect disruptions, but not without a powerful revelation of God's character. The question we need to be asking us is not, God, why did you lead us into disruption? But the question we need to be asking God is, God, how can I know you more through the disruption? God, how can I know more of your character through this disruption. God, I want to worship you through this because I know there's something powerful that's coming. A breakthrough's coming. A revelation of who you are is coming. You can always expect fresh revelation through any disruption. So my question is, is what is he teaching himself about you? How are you being changed? How is he revealing himself to you? Well, Maybe if you don't know that answer, then let me encourage you with just a couple things. Get alone this week and just pray. Start there. And then use your voice to call out to him. And then I would just merely say, keep your eyes locked on his word. I want to be like what Psalm 1 says, where it says, these trees, they bear fruit in every season. That means this, it can be no rain that would fall, but the tree is still bearing fruit. I didn't say it, God said it in Psalms 1 that it's possible. How is it possible to bear fruit when there's no rain to grow a tree? Here's how, is when John 15 says, stay in me, remain in me, stay connected to me, remain in my love, remain right with me. Jesus, I'm gonna change his words a little bit and put it in my translation. Remember when Jesus said, take heart. Hey, just so you know, you're going to experience tons of disruptions, but take heart. For why? For I have overcome the world. Whenever he leads you to the other side, you can expect to watch him overcome in the journey of leading you to the other side. Hang in there with Jesus. Stay near to him. Watch what he'll do in your life.
If everyone could bow your head, close your eyes. I just want to take a moment to recommit our eyes on Jesus, to recommit our heart back on him. If you're like me, you've experienced all kinds of disruptions this year. And for some of us, it's hurt us, it's destroyed us. For some of us, it's led us even further away from Jesus. But I came to remind someone today, Jesus actually isn't far away. He's actually more near than he is far. And just how Jesus reached out a hand to pull up a failing person named Peter, Jesus loves to reach out a hand and save and transform and fill and renew and love any person who would use their voice and say, I need you. Save me. Today, Jesus is calling you back to him. Today, Jesus has an arm outstretched towards you. But the first step to being rescued is being heard. It's calling out to him in your own heart saying, Jesus, save me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, renew me. Jesus, take my brokenness. Jesus, take my disruptions. Jesus, take my life. On the count of three, if you're here and you want to recommit or give your life to Jesus and have him save you, he's always saving. He's always reaching. One, you want to come back to Jesus. Two, on the count of three, I just want you to put your hand up. No one looking around. Three, just put your hand up saying, hey, I want to come back. I need him to save me. I need him to come in my life. Praise God. So cool. So how about three or four hands? Yep, there's another one. So cool. And that's not the evangelist exaggeration. My wife's on the piano. She would let you know if that's exaggerated. This is real life, y'all. This is cool. I just want us all to pray together. Repeat after me. Everyone together. Jesus, today is different. My life has been full of disruptions. But today, I cry out to you. And I say, Jesus, save me. Rescue me. Help me to worship you in the disruptions. Help me to know you more in the disruptions. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we just give a big clap to Jesus and thank him? Jesus is so good, y'all. He's so good. We're going to go into a time of worship. I'm going to invite you to stand in a little bit. But in this song, symbolically, would you use this time, right where you are, to make an altar? Every disruption you're in, would you just take a moment of putting it back at the feet of Jesus and letting your mouth worship and put your eyes back on him watch what God will do